Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Let's pray. Jesus, just like Elisha's servant, would you open our eyes? Reveal to us that the enemy is surrounded. Show us that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these fathers and mothers that have gone before us. Cause our eyes to be open, Lord. Move our legs this morning to step forward after you. Shift something in the atmosphere today, Jesus. I pray that faith would rise in this family today. Even if it's just a little mustard seed, I I think we've got that here today. Would you cause that faith to grow into a massive tree? Let faith reign in our hearts today, Jesus. We cast out all fear and we receive your love, your grace the foundation of why we can step forward in faith. The greatest of all, love, who is you. May we catch a glimpse today, Father, of the throne room. May we see the reigning and risen king as John saw him in Revelation. The beautiful lamb that was slain, that victorious lion that still roars today louder than ever. Would you unveil yourself to us today, Jesus? We don't want to just sit here and play church. We are here because you called us to be the church. We are here to cause faith to be activated within us today. Father, I pray against stony ground. Would you break stones apart today in each of our hearts? There's places that need to be broken up, pebbles, bigger rocks need that need to be crushed. Would you soften those hearts today? Would we find that heart of David you created us with, that you're coming back to inherit one day? That's the heart we go after because that's the heart that goes after the presence of you. Jesus name and all God's people said amen. Whoa, 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 whoa. I did not say to sit down. Put your hands over your hearts. I told you it's going to be a workout today. This is what Paul wrote. You know, I've said this before, but if you ever doubt um, what scripture to read or you ever want some good instruction, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, it's the go to. We did a whole series on 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we called it 5.14, if you remember that, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. But if you ever just, you're just, I don't know what to read, go there. It's got it all. This is what Paul writes near the end of that passage, over you. Now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, make you different, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body. You are also three in one, just like he is three in one. Be kept completely faultless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. The one who calls you by name is trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. Do you believe it? Now you can sit down. So the message today is a simple but yet complex one. I came to tell you today that you are surrounded. You are surrounded, completely surrounded by Jesus. He surrounds you, but check this out. You also surround him. We'll we'll get that to that at the end. This is biblical. He surrounds you. You, if you choose, surround him. He is both in you and you are in him. That takes a lot of unpacking. There's a lot of mystery there, but believe it. He surrounds you, you surround him. He is in you, you are in him. 
I cannot fully explain all of that. But I'm going to try to explain a little bit. Some things are just mysterious. And that's what makes the Lord the Lord. You know, even, even when, we, we, when heaven comes here and when we arrive at our eternal home, you will not fully understand the Lord. You won't. There will be mysteries for all of eternity, and that's part of the wonder of being a follower of Christ is, is, is three million years from now, you're going to be going, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. Did you see, John, did you, I bet you didn't see that either, did you? We never saw that coming. That's why he's so good. He's the Lord. He's mysterious. Okay. I mentioned it when I was praying. You are made out of three components. Paul just wrote about it. Spirit, soul, and body. Very important. Your spirit is your truest form. But it's also the, mo the hardest to see with physical eyes. Because you can't see with physical eyes. It's spiritual eyes to understand your spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment that you receive him, you start following him, you believe on him, your spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you have eternal life. You are sealed by his spirit. That changes everything. But it doesn't end there. And if you are, have taken that step and followed Jesus, your spirit sealed with him, you are also seated. Your spirit is seated with him in heavenly places, far above every principality and power, far above, at the highest level, with him. Right now, if you're a believer, how awesome is that? The problem is we don't often think or see from that perspective. Even though right now your spirit with him in heavenly places, above all the crap that's disturbing you, you're above it all because you're with him. Your truest form is your spirit. Your soul is your heart condition. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. We, we talk so much about heart condition at this church. Revelation 22 says, Jesus created the heart of David, and he's going to inherit the heart of David. The heart of David, it's not a perfect heart, but it's a heart that pursues him. It's a heart that repents and turns back to him over and over and over again. That's why we pursue that. The soul, the mind, will, and the emotions is the battleground between your spirit and your body. It's a battleground. Even though your spirit is sealed with the Lord, if you're a believer... The soul is the battleground for where you're going to step next. Does that make sense? There is a war that is going on for your mind, your will, and emotions, your heart condition. Your body, that's pretty obvious. That's the one we understand the most because we're, I mean, look at your hands right now. Like three of you. Look at your hands right now. Oh, there you go. You can see your body, right? Very evident. I can see Dalton's body. He was nice and obedient, looked at his hands. The rest of you are like, oh, look at my hands, that's kind of weird. Our bodies are, are easy to understand compared to our spirit and our soul. Check this out, Ephesians 1, 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Wait a second. Even before the, he made the world, so at that point, you, you didn't have a body. I didn't have a body. But he chose you before that point. What's he talking about? He's talking about your spirit. Here's another verse, Jeremiah 1.5. We quote this a lot. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. You are in him, he is in you. You were in him, your spirit, before the foundations of the world. Before that spark of life in your mother's womb, before he started knitting you together into your beautiful body that you have right now, he knew you. He knew your spirit. You were in him before he even spoke this world into existence. You're really old. In fact, if you look at it that way, which is, I don't know if it's an appropriate way to look at it because he's outside of time and space, but if you look at it that way, we're all kind of the same age. Deep thoughts by Chris Taves. <laughs> this is where my mind goes. But no, this is, this is really important for you to understand. Your body is, is a temporary thing. 
you're going to get a new one one day. Praise God. You're going to look even better than you do right now. I'm hoping I get to fly, be teleported. You know, listen, if Philip can be teleported in the, in the New Testament, I'm thinking it's possible right now. I mean, we're, we're going to do greater things, so let's praise for some teleportation. Let's go. Let's go. It's really important that you understand that we're made from three components, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit was always in him. Your soul, your heart condition, and your body came later on. All right, here we go. I told you. We're going to be doing gym class today. Stand up again. Um, I'm going to ask that you move to the row in front of you. And if you're in the front row, you, you, all you need to do is, sh- is change seats. No, nobody's in the back row. Nobody's in the back row today. I know. If you're in the front row, change seats. You're going to shift your body. If... if, if, if um, if there's not enough room in the row in front of you, there will be shortly. Everybody's moving. The new people are like, why did I come to this church today? There's one spot open next to Kip here on the front row. It's a great spot. All right, we got people on. We got people at the altar already. This is getting good. Rochelle. All right, if you found a seat that's in front of you, you can or shifted in some way, shape, or form, you can sit down. Awesome! Aren't you glad you came to church today? Here's what I love is, is many of you that come regularly, you have like your favorite spot that you like to sit in, which I love. I think that's great. But every once in a while, we need to shift perspectives, don't we? So I've seen a lot of people that have gone to this church be on their face in the, in the altar here on their knees in the altar here that used to sit in the front row and I'm not going to I'm not going to name names obviously but and these are this is stuff that I've talked to these people about but all of a sudden something would happen in their soul in their heart condition and their body would start sitting from the front row to the third row a couple weeks later they're back here. How you doing? This is beautiful. Oh, we got one back row sitter. Dude, you're killing me. Okay, you moved up. Okay, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But I've, I've seen people shift their body from a position of worship to the back row to back here with a scowl on their face, arms crossed, to walking out the door. Hey, how you doing? I love our security people. They're they're so awesome. Caleb, you rock, man. So, and and I'm, I'm not here to shame those people. I love those people. But they used to be with us, and now their bodies have physically left the building. And, and I know, and I'm praise Jesus for the time that they spent with us but I believe they were supposed to stay here. What shifted in their soul to cause them to move from a position of worship to arms crossed in the back to out the door? And this is the warning for me and for you, is when you sense your body shifting, your arms crossing, a scowl forming, It's time to do some heart work before even that happens because actually you can sense it in your heart. The the heart, the soul is a battleground. I mentioned that. Has anybody ever played the game Othello here? Okay, yes, she loves that game. I do too. I I rock at that game. We're going to play sometime. So it's, it's like this giant checkerboard 
and you have uh, little discs, little coins, and one side is black and the other side is white. And the goal of the game is you're, say I'm, I'm white, you're black, you're trying to flip everything to black, I'm trying to flip everything to white. It's the same as our souls. There's these areas in our heart that even though your spirit is sealed with his spirit as a Christ follower, you can give place to the devil. You can give that spot and turn it black, from white to black, back to white. There's a struggle, there's a battle for your soul. A root of bitterness, the smallest little thing can turn into a giant root that turns a, a white square into a black square. And then it grows. And Hebrews 12 said, a, says a root of bitterness affects everyone around you. It doesn't just affect you. In your anger, it says, don't go to bed angry. Otherwise, you're going to give a place to the devil, a place of hardness in your heart. So I want to do some heart work today on me, on you. How do we flip those squares to white and not black? How do we actually take back ground? When we talk about taking back ground, we're talking about the heart. But then it actually manifests in the physical as well. Because you saw the example that I just used was hearts that turned hard affected bodies and where they were positioned. So how do we take back some ground from the enemy today? That's what we're going to do. See, our bodies react to what's happening in our soul. Even though our spirit is seated high above with him in heavenly places, that's the perspective we need to, to get to. But what that battle that's happening in our hearts, that's what shifts our bodies. Or does our bodies, do we actually, when we move our bodies, can that affect the battle? Yes, it can. I'll show you how. When Elisha, the, the, the passage that, that we've been talking about in 2 Kings, when he sees the army of fire surrounding the enemy, and then he prays that his servant's eyes would be open, because obviously his servant didn't see what Elisha saw. But why did Elisha see that? Yes, faith. Rochelle preached about that last week. But how did that faith get there? I would submit to you that that wasn't the first time he'd seen chariots of fire or horses of fire. What happened? Who was Elisha's spiritual father? Elijah. It's very important who your spiritual fathers and mothers are, who you're following. It affects the foundation of your life. When Elijah was about to be taken up into heaven, he told Elisha not to come with him. This was a test. Three times he told him, no, don't come with me. And Elisha says, no, my father, I'm coming. He passed the test three times. And at the very end, near the very end, Elijah promised him a double portion if he would keep his eyes fixed on Elijah when he was taken. Then what happened? A chariot of fire came. Horses of fire brings Elijah up into the sky. Elisha, his eyes fixed. I wonder if he saw horses of fire and chariots of fire every day since then. Who your father, who your spiritual mother is, massively important. That's the foundation for your eyesight. And somehow in that moment, that foundation that Elisha had, because he was with Elijah for a long time, before he received the double portion, before he stepped into the ministry, he served Elijah. Joshua and Caleb. Got 12 spies but only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, my man Caleb that's sitting out there that I met, only two of them saw from the right perspective. The other ten couldn't see. They just saw in the physical realm. But Joshua and Caleb, somehow, they saw differently. Why? 
Joshua spent time with Moses in the tent of meeting. He'd experienced the glory, similar to Elijah and Elisha, right? A spiritual father showing you how to access the most valuable thing in the world, the presence of the Lord, shifted their eyesight. Moses, why does Moses climb the mountain of the Lord and, the, and Aaron, the priest, and everyone else in Israel is terrified of the mountain. So terrified, in fact, that they go from faith to fear, build a golden calf, another god, while, while Moses is up on the mountain in the glory. John. Why was John chosen to write the book of Revelation, to see the revelation of God, to come up here into the throne room? I would submit to you because... He was the disciple, he called himself this, that Jesus loved. He spent so much time and he valued the presence of the Lord that even that, remember that one time when the man called from shore, he said, Pahadion means little children who recognized his voice first, John. The most valuable thing you can do is get into the presence of the Lord, get into the secret place. Now, the secret place can look different at different times and places. Maybe it's literally a closet in your house is one of your secret places. Maybe it's the altar up here that's a secret place for you. You should have multiple places that you can go to the Father just like Jesus did. This is not isolation. Isolation is from the devil. This is solitude with the Father where you're going to spend time with him for one purpose only, to hear from him, to bless him and to have him bless you. On October 12, 2019, we had our first corporate gathering in this building. It, it wasn't renovated yet, but we had cleared out all the junk, all the trash, the, the, the demonic trash from what this building used to be. And I was thinking about this because I knew I was going to preach on these verses, but then I realized this was the first prophetic word that, that we corporately gave in this building. And I know a number of you were here that night. I don't know if you remember this or not, but this was said over you. There's a picture. You can still see the, the, bay, the, the walls that were kind of the lines from the walls that were torn down. Has so much spiritual significance what we physically did tore down here because literally the Lord wants to do the same thing in, in our hearts today to tear down walls to renovate this house this house this heart Zechariah 2 1 5 this 2 2 verses 1 through 5 this is what uh, Zechariah's vision this is what we spoke over you that night he says I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out and another angel coming in to meet him. And he said to the second angel, run, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls, spreading out into the open country because of the great number of people and livestock in it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, protecting her from enemies, and I will be the glory in her midst. And what we declared that night over both this house and your house, your heart, was that he is a fire that surrounds you, and he is also a fire of glory within you. He surrounds you, you surround him, we'll talk about that. He is in you, you are in him. It's a great and beautiful mystery. But I believe some of the revelation of why we've seen visions of fiery angels around this building is because we declared that at the outset. We've, we've spoken that, and actually, that was a prayer that in that season, I, I had started praying it over Benny every single night, and I still do. I pray that over you every single night, don't I? I say, at the end of our prayer, when we're praying, I say, Benny, he is a fire around you. He's the glory within you. It's a beautiful thing to declare over yourself, over your children. He is the fire around you, a protection around you. Because Jerusalem, that's you. That's a picture of you and me. He's the fire that surrounds you. He's the glory within you. It's so beautiful. 
And what I realized is, and I need to apologize this morning, actually, is we've said from the stage, myself and some others, we've said during altar calls, hey, there's nothing special about this altar, which may be true in one sense, but that's what I need to apologize for. There's actually something very, very special about this ground. Because anytime the Lord is allowed to transform something from evil to good, he inhabits it. Okay? And just like he's trying to do in your heart right now. He's trying to shift things in your hearts. He inhabits the praises of his people. When you praise him, he inhabits that space. That's why praise and thanksgiving, I mean, that's the best warfare you can do. Enemies coming after you, I'm just going to praise Jesus. He is so good. He is so, I have such a good father. You just start praising him, and you watch as you are infilled with the Holy Spirit. But literally, this physical building was a place of wickedness that we, with our own hands, our bodies, we tore down, we renovated, and now we've said, Lord Jesus let your presence be here. That's the one thing we seek, your presence here. And so this altar, this place, it's holy ground. I've had multiple people come into this building that hadn't been in this building before and look at me and say, whoa, I can feel his presence here. He inhabits you as a temple, but he does inhabit physical places. This building, your home your workplace. You carry him. He's the glory within you. You carry his presence wherever you go. Are you stewarding it well, though? So, we will never once again say this is just meaningless. It's, it's, this is a place of holy ground. So I apologize for that. And there's a reason why we do altar calls. Very biblical. We'll see that in just a minute. There's a reason that you have to move your body in order to shift your heart. I'm going to show you that. The altar is a place of turning towards the Lord. It can be this altar at Oak Street. It can be a place, um, a spiritual place. It doesn't have to be a physical place, but it's a place where your heart turns. And just like that game, Othello, you're, you're not done. You're sealed with the Spirit, but you're not done warring for your heart. Though all, those, all those squares need to turn white. And you're not going to be done warring for that until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again and makes you completely whole. It's a battleground. It's a place of movement. The altar is a place of movement. Remember Cain and Abel. I'm sure they learned this from, from their parents, but it's, it's literally the first physical altar that we read about in the Bible where they bring gifts to the Lord. Remember this story? And Abel brings, they both bring gifts for, for what they do, you know, um, but it was about the heart condition. That's what the Lord saw. He saw what they were bringing from their heart, not the physical gift. He saw what their heart was bringing, and, and he was displeased with Cain's gift. But he loved Abel's gift, and it, it angered Cain so much that we had the first murder in history. And Hebrews tells us that the blood of Abel still speaks out from the ground. It's, it's the same passage where it says that the, the blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word. But that's how powerful the altar moment is, is there was a death at the, at the first altar, and his blood still speak crying out to the Lord from the ground. It's foundational in our lives, the, the altars and the place of altars. It's, it's a place of movement. It's, it's, it can be a, a holy, private place, or it can be a public space. But it's about your heart condition. It's about you coming to the Father in movement, in moving your body. You know, there's many times... If you've been here for any length of time, I'm sure you've seen me on my knees or my face. And some of you are like, that guy's crazy. Like, why is he always on his knees or his face? And really, frankly, I really don't care what you think. I'm, I'm here to obey my father. And, I mean, if David just danced before the Lord, I'm going to be on my face. 
That's between me and him. That's, that's my altar space. But I'm, I'm telling you this to say, pretty much every time, I don't feel like kneeling. I don't feel like getting on my face. Like, hey, what should I do? Let me lay on some hard, cold concrete for half an hour. It's not enjoyable, but what I've found is when the Holy Spirit tells me to drop to my knees or get on my face, as soon as I do that, he unloads revelation on me because I've put my body in a place of submission to him. And once I've done that, he can work on my soul. That's why we open our hands. That's why we put our hands on our heart. That's why we we do all these things, because you're putting your body in a place at the altar where now you're somehow, there's a connection to your soul, and you're opening up your soul saying, Lord, I'm going to receive from you. I'm in a place that I can hear from you. That's why we do this and why we won't stop doing this. And, And I pray that you would be as obedient, and I've not, I've not always been obedient. There's been times he's told me to do things, and I haven't done them. But when he tells us to move our body, just pay attention to the Holy Spirit in that. When he tells you to do something, move. Because then the reward from that is so great. Listen, I've never regretted getting on my knees before the Lord. I've never had a regret saying, man, I could have used that half hour that I spent on my face before the Lord a lot better. Never. The opposite. The more you do that, do that and train your body to do that, train your heart to open up, the more you will desire that and desire to do that. But, but it takes pushing your body first to those positions of uncomfortability. Does that make sense? It's biblical. Check this out. You know this verse. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to you and me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your rational act of worship. We've, we've read, I've read that for years, and I've never thought of it in the, in the combination of body, soul, and spirit. We, what do you do first? Present your body. What did Jesus do for you in his ultimate sacrifice at the altar? He presented his human body for you. That's why Paul says we should do the same thing. We present our bodies to him. Because something shifts in the spiritual when you move your body and you kneel before him. When you move your body and raise your hands. When you move your body, something shifts within your soul. It can't help but shift because you're saying, Jesus You pay the ultimate price. How dare I not obey you in this moment? Whatever you're asking me to do to move my body towards you. See, Jesus, when he called you and me and his disciples, he he didn't, what did he say? He said, follow me. He didn't tell his disciples, hey, pray pray this prayer, it's ABCs, do this, and you're good. Nothing wrong with, with how you received Christ and believed on him, okay? There's not a single perfectly phrased prayer They'll get you saved. It's the belief on Jesus Christ by faith. That's what saves you. But what did he tell his disciples, these fishermen? He said, come, follow me. And somehow in the church, we've made that to say, take one step and you're good. No, Jesus is a God of movement. He says, follow me. I'm going down the shoreline of your life. Are you, are you coming? Are you going to keep stepping? That's why this church is about movement. It's about stepping forward together. That's why we have the arrows. Acts 2.14, Peter stood up with the rest of the apostles and he launched the church. He stepped forward together after Jesus. We don't stop moving. We keep pursuing him where he leads. And the Holy Spirit, he is moving right now. The only question is, is your body and your soul going to go with him? Present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That's part of the soul. You present your body, then he can transform your soul. The body starts first. The shift, you want to get closer to Jesus? You want to see what your spirit sees in heavenly places? Move your body first. Move your body into position. And watch your heart shift and connect with your spirit in heavenly places. 
1 Thessalonians 5. Again, the first part. But you, beloved brothers and sisters, are not living in the dark, allowing the day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal. He he was saying, you're not one-step Christians. You're not. You're called to more than that. You're called to a lot of steps. You're not living in the dark. This is a message for this day and age, this time right now. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. This is why we must not fall asleep. This is what Rochelle felt when she got up here last week. And ironically enough, the Holy Spirit was saying the same thing to me. He literally said that she got up and said, the church is being lulled to sleep. And I was sitting there right where Holly is in the front row, and the Holy Spirit said to me right before she got up, said there is a lulling to sleep that the enemy is trying to get in our souls to try to get this church, this church and all of the kingdom to sleep. Because if the enemy allows us to, or somehow convinces us to sleep, he's winning. He's turning those squares black instead of white. And we are on the offensive. We are called to break down the gates of hell. Okay? We're not, we're not in a defensive position here. We're playing an offensive game. We're, we're coming after the enemy. We're coming to take buildings like this that were used for horrible abuse and, and perversion. And we're coming to flip that square back to white because we're not children of the night. We're not, we are children of the day and of the light. So he says, this is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do. There might be some people to your left or right that are falling asleep, but the only heart condition you can work on is yours. But I'm telling you what, you work on yours and it spills over. Your cup overflows to the rest of the table. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. For those who, who, who are asleep, sleep the night away. And drunkards get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we must stay alert and clear-headed. Here's how. By placing the breastplate of faith and love over our what? Hearts. And a helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. That's your soul. The first thing that you go to battle with is the breastplate over your heart, the helmet over your thoughts. You protect your soul as you move into the battle. We're about to start a new series next week called Militant Hope. It's about the hope of stepping forward. We're we're in war. We're going to war. You're called to war. The only question is, are you going to be like Gideon's soldiers? See, See, not all of them went to battle. And that's okay. Like People will come and people will go. They're really, really good people. But some can go to that next level and go to war, and some can't handle it yet. They're still called to it, but they have to go home. They have to take another lap in the wilderness. They have to do whatever the Holy Spirit needs for them to work on before they can go to that level of war. Does that make sense? We must stay clear-headed, faith and hope over our hearts, hope over our minds. See, the battle is entirely in our soul. It's your heart condition. The condition of your heart determines whether you see from heavenly places or you see from that valley of fear. The condition of your heart determines whether you see an army of fire surrounding you and surrounding the enemy or whether you see your enemy surrounding you. It's your choice. Remember those choose your own adventure books? Anybody grow up with those? Yeah, some of you are like, no idea what you're talking about. That's fine. I know, I'm old. There's these books where you could like, you would choose like which way you wanted to go and then you'd flip over in the book. And uh, a lot of times like you'd end up dead if you chose this way. But you could flip back and like choose the other answer. You're living in a, see the Lord is so wonderful and gracious. He lets you choose your own adventure. The very definition of love is he doesn't force you to love him. He says, I'm placing you in the garden. I'd recommend this and not that. You choose. You get to choose how much you love him. You get to choose how much of Jesus that you want. 
You get to choose. And I'm telling you today, you must move your body, your physical body, into a place where your heart can be have surgery on. Not once, not one step, 10,000 steps. Then 100,000, then, then a million. It's not over. You're going to another level. The only question is, it's up to you if you want to go there or not. And if we don't take our soul up to this other level to lift it up, just like John in Revelation 4, he, he, he had a choice, but the Lord said, come up here. He could have decided not to go. But he came up to the throne room. It's the same thing with us. The Lord's saying to us, come up to this next level. Come up to the throne room. And if you do that, you'll see that your spirit is seated with him in heavenly places. But if you don't do that, do that you're going to lose many of the battles that you're facing and fighting because you're not bringing your soul, your heart to the highest place possible. See, the status of your heart condition determines how your body responds. The status of your body determines how open your heart is. And the direction of your heart, the steps you take, is the place that you well travel to. The condition of your heart determines everything about your life. David, the guy whose heart that Jesus created, both for David and for us, and the, the heart that he's coming back to inherit, what did he say so many times? He said, he, he talks about just the dark things he's facing. Heather, Heather read the passage this morning. But then he'd say this, he'd say, and then I remind my soul. I remind my heart what is true. I remind, and some, some of you need to start doing that. When, you're, when you see the enemy, all of a sudden you've got to stop, and it's okay to, like, God can handle your, your junk. It's okay to, like, yell at him and scream at him. like David did it okay but then you got to get to a place of resolution where you say no wait I know what's true I've got to remind my soul what is true he is on the throne he is on the throne he is the lion of the tribe of Judah I've got to lift up my soul from the pit there's a lot of people we've all done it feels good sometimes to just get the sympathy in the pit Remember Jesus, he asked the question to the man on the mat. He says, do you want to be healed? Crazy question. Of course, right? No. Sometimes the mat's more comfortable than actually getting up and walking and taking steps after Jesus and actually finding your healing. That guy had to choose, am I going to move my body in obedience or am I just going to stay in this mat? Moses had to decide, I'm going to climb up that mountain a bunch of times because <laughs> he smashed the, the tablets after coming down in anger. I mean, I think I would have done that too. But he, he kept climbing the mountain to get to the glory. But he saw things that many people don't see because he went up to the next level. The disciples, where were they waiting for, for what Jesus had promised? Where were they waiting? They went to an upper room. They went to the next level. They took their bodies higher. Jonathan, I love this story. This is part of the DNA of our church. Jonathan in the Old Testament and his armor bearer, they're, they're faced off the Israelites and the Philistines, and Jonathan and his armor bearer sneak away to the, to the front of the battle. The rest of the Israelites and, and Saul have no idea what's going on, and Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, I think we can scale this cliff. Because here's what I know. God can win by many or by few. Are you with me? And his armor bearer said, yes, I'm with you, heart and soul. And that's where we need to be. But they moved their bodies to a position so his armor bearer could say, like we say to Jesus, yes, I'm going to scale the cliff. I don't care if it's just the two of us. I don't care if it's 100,000 of us. But I'm going after what you called me to do. I'm with you, Jesus, heart and soul. Let's go to the next level. See, faith in Jesus Christ is all about movement. And it starts with moving your body, shifting your body to a different position, which allows your heart to be opened up and shifted and allows you to see in the spirit. On Thursday night, I was here for Breakthrough, and I had a lot of these, heart, these thoughts rumbling in my heart over the last three weeks for this message, but 
the Lord had not released me to really write it all out yet. It was, it was just the way he's, he works with me is he just, it has to be settled in my heart before I force something on paper. And I knew something Thursday night was going to shift significantly for me and for this message. And, and I'm on my face, down on my favorite carpet square here. And I'm just waiting for the Lord. And all of a sudden, I see this vision. And it's a vision of Elijah. So Elisha's spiritual father, Elijah. And it's the story of the widow that he, he came to. It was actually interesting. The Lord told him, hey, go to this widow's house, and she's going to feed you. And he gets there, and he says, woman, bring me a cup of, probably nicer than that, but he says, bring me a cup of water. She does, and she, he says, make some bread. And, he, and she says, we have, we have no flour. We've got nothing. Have you ever been in a place where the Lord tells you to do something, and you go there, and it's like, uh, <laughs> we have none of the ingredients for what the Lord wants to do. But I love Elijah. He, he said, your jar of flour will, and oil will never be empty. Elijah just didn't walk out and, and be like, Jesus, I think you got it wrong. Now he said, by faith, your jar of flour and oil will never be empty. And so, but what I saw was when a few, a time period later, Elijah comes back to her house. And when he comes back, the woman is in anguish because her boy, her little boy had died. And I saw in my vision, I saw what Elijah did. He was, he took, takes the dead boy. And the Bible says he carried him up the stairs to the upper room. And then he did something so weird that I've always wondered, why, why do you do some of these things, Jesus? But Elijah stretches out his own body on the boy's body, and the boy comes back to life. And I see that in a vision, and I'm asking the Lord, why did he stretch out his body? And the Lord said to me, his body had to remind the boy's body that he wasn't dead. Stretch yourself out on the church. Move your body, carry the dead thing upstairs to the next level. Then he will open up the heart to do surgery on. There's a shifting that he wants to do for those that are not content to be in the basement. There's a shifting that the Holy Spirit wants to do for those who are not satisfied with being in the living room. There's a shifting that he wants to do, a movement that he wants to do in the upper place, in the upper room. He's saying once again, come up here. I'm talking about a tangible shift, a tangible desire in your heart for the Lord. A hunger and thirst for him like never before. That's what he's wanting to pour out, but he's such a good father, he won't force himself. He'll move when the desire level rises, when the water level rises in your life. That's when you move, when your body shifts and says, yep, I want to go to that place. But he won't do it until you go there. We were uh, on vacation celebrating Heidi's 40th birthday a couple weeks ago in San Diego. And yeah, she's really old now. She's grandma, grandma Bolt. You can call her that in collective, Grandma Bolt. But it was, it was awesome. We took, we took our kids, the Bolts and the Taves, and, and we had this place that was um, on top of one of these mountains in San Diego. And I'm telling you, one of my favorite things, and I realize why, is whenever I go somewhere, I want to go to the highest place. And I realize that's my body craving to go to the upper room with the Lord. That's, that's one of my secret places where he speaks to me. That's why he speaks to me on planes, you know, in these high places. So he unloaded so much on me just as I was sitting there watching the mountains. Um, but that's for another time. But in the backyard, there's a swimming pool. And, yeah, they're laughing. And, you know, California desert kind of vegetation is a lot different than Illinois. And we were having a lot of fun playing some bags one day. But there was this one bush that was kind of like almost surrounding the pool. 
and looked really different than anything you'd ever seen before. They kind of looked like little pencil heads, like green pencil heads all over the bush. And a few times, like Benny was, Benny beat me in bags. And so I was kind of like, I grabbed a few of them, kind of chucked them at him. And because there was tons of them, I wasn't destroying it. Don't worry. But at one point in time, and I don't know what goes through 16-year-olds' heads sometimes and minds, but at, at one point in time, Benny grabs one of these little sticks and just gives it a little lick. <laughs> like I said, don't know what goes through teenagers' minds. But, you know, I, I love the curiosity. I love, I love, like, hey, let's see what this thing tastes like. Well, it turns out, you know, years ago, this is why I hate the internet, because years ago it would have been like nothing to worry about, but all of a sudden his throat starts burning, like badly. So we're taking, we're using like the plant app, looking this thing up on, on the internet, and all of a sudden we discover that this thing is called a fire stick. It's very poisonous, and if you ingest it, you should go to the ER. This is why I hate the internet. So we prayed the blood of Jesus over him. Forget California ERs. That's, that's of the devil. We, we prayed the blood of Jesus over him. I gave him some milk and a bunch of other stuff. and Yeah. Said, you're fine, boy. You're fine. Don't lick, don't lick the plants, please. Licking the fire sticks. But I was thinking about that story and laughing, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, his fire's around us. It's also within us, especially in Benny. <laughs> his glory is within us. But the Bible says this. Something, see, something happens when you shift your body. Something happens to your soul. Because David writes this. He says, taste and see. If I taste of him, then my eyes are opened. If I taste the fire, see, a lot of us are scared of the fire of God. He is an all-consuming fire, and there is, there is a holy fear that we should be in awe of. But he's also, as much as he is fire, he is that beautiful, calm, perfect sea in the throne room, crystal clear glass. There's that, that picture in Revelation where it says that the crystal sea was smooth, but it was also on fire. It's, I love that picture of the Holy Spirit because he's this all-consuming fire, yet he's perfect peace and, and the comforter. He's both. And he's nothing to be scared of. But he's, he wants an experience, you to experience him. See, Pete, Peter was writing about it. He, I, I love this. He's like, guys, we weren't making up clever stories. We literally experienced the fire and the presence of God up there on that mountain with Jesus. We heard his voice. We're not making this stuff up. And he's writing that because he wants us to experience him, to yada him, to become intimate with him, to taste who he is. Taste and see. Taste and let your eyes be open. And this morning, Jesus is inviting you up to the upper room. He's inviting you, like he says in Revelation 22, come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come. And drink freely, because what's flowing out of the throne, what's flowing out of me is the water of life, the bread of life. Taste and see. Let your eyes be opened. If you want to see him, if you want to see what Elisha saw, if you want to see what all these heroes of the faith that surround us, that they saw, you have to be willing to take the steps and follow Jesus. You have to be willing to go to the upper room. You have to be willing to go up that mountain. You have to be willing to taste of the bread of life, to taste of the water that will never run dry. Drink, taste, and see. See, it's it's your choice at what level you experience Jesus at. Totally up to you. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. But he wants to give all of himself to you. He wants you to search out his mystery. It doesn't end. 
There's more steps to go. There's more ground to be taken in your heart. There's more places to climb to in his kingdom. See, you will be filled with the appetite that you have for him. That's the measure of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're sealed. But there's another filling. And the filling depends on your desire and your appetite for who he is. Taste and see. Jeremiah 15 says this, your words were found and I ate them. See, some of the most intimate thing you can do is sit down at dinner with a friend and eat something delicious. You don't eat the stuff that's gross. That's why the Lord invites us to these intimate moments. That's why he's coming back. He's preparing this table for us, a feast for us. But there's also one available right now. There's a place of feasting right now. And yes, your enemies in the spiritual realm are seated at that table. But it's not about your enemies. It's about the fact that they have to watch the glory being poured out on you. If you choose to eat and drink, your cup will overflow. See, the greatest treasure you can have is to ingest his words. His word is the most powerful force in the universe. Eat them. Taste his words. And then let what he speaks absolutely wreck your heart. Just like this building, rip down to the studs so that he can build you back up into something beautiful so that he can fill you with his presence. Let his words rewire your thoughts, your heart, your mind, your soul. Would you stand up? If you didn't know it, the altar's open. It's always open. It's never closed. Why don't you just close your eyes? A lot of times we close our physical eyes so we can see in the spiritual. That's why we close our eyes. Jesus, unveil yourself to us right now. We agree that you surround us with a fire. And we agree that we are filled with your fire. And this morning, we present our bodies. We move more than just one step. We move towards you. We surrender towards you. We open our hands. We kneel. We come to the altar. We do whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do, to open our hearts to you. That's why we shift our bodies. We put our bodies in a position for our hearts to be shifted. We choose this morning to go higher. We choose this morning like John to go to the throne room. We choose this morning to take the dead things in our life that the world calls dead and take them upstairs and stretch our bodies over them and call life back into those dead things. I don't know what those dead things are in your life right now. But let him speak to you. And then move in obedience to the Holy Spirit to what he tells you to do. Move your body in a position to receive his instructions for your heart. I think there's some people in here that are battling with overwhelming thoughts of anxiety because of sickness, because of workplace trauma. And he wants you to move your body in a position to shift some things in your heart. Obey him this morning. some people in here that are struggling with family members and there's roots of bitterness that are starting to spring up and it's affecting your heart condition. Your, your, your board is turning to black. 
he's wanting to heal those relationships. But you gotta move your body first. See, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, when you come to the altar and you remember that you have something against your brother, before you bring your gift to me at the altar, go to your brother and ask forgiveness. Get that thing released. But what's interesting is he said, it starts by going to the altar. When you come to the altar, it's not if you come to the altar, it's when you come to the altar. That's when the realization happens. That's when your body is shifted. That's when your heart is open to realize that there's hardness there. You won't be able to see it until your body shifts. if there's relationships that need to be restored this morning pray that you'd reveal those right now in Jesus name the tiniest little thing the smallest little thing God we root out any roots of bitterness if there's envy or greed in our lives Father if there's idolatry in our lives would you reveal that to us this morning as we shift our bodies we take the dead things upstairs bodies to follow you. You came to our shoreline. You said, follow me. So we, we go in obedience. And some of us, most of us have some steps that were lagging behind you. Father, we sprint ahead now. We sprint ahead. I'm just hearing that word. We run ahead to where you are. We cannot afford to be far behind you. We might still see you, but we sprint to where you are. We have to be within touching distance of your robe. We have to be right there. That's where the healing is. We run. Some of you need to run to him. Father, break the spirit of pride. Wreck every single heart in this room. Tear it down, just like you did with this building. Tear it all down so you can build it all up. You can fill us with your presence. Father, let your fire fall. Let your grace fall. We open up our bodies as living sacrifices to you, holy and pleasing to you. We come to the altar. Now, Father, transform our mind. Transform our heart. He is in you, and you are in him. It's the mystery. He surrounds you, and you surround him if you choose. See, John, when he went up to the upper room, he saw this. He said, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice says, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circle around his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and the 24 elders sat on them they were all clothed in white and all had golden crowns on their head see if you go up to the next level you are those 24 elders that surround him he surrounds you but you have the opportunity to surround him in worship
in adoration. You have the opportunity to lay your golden crown before him and then watch as he puts it back on your head and you lay it down in submission again and turn over and over and over to the lamb who was slain, to the lion who roars. You are in him. He is in you. He surrounds you. And Jesus, we choose to surround you this morning. You surround him. Now we pray what Paul prayed. Now may the God of peace and harmony set us apart, making us completely holy, making our entire being, spirit, soul, and body, completely fall, fall us in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the one who calls you by name. He knows your name. Some of you need to hear that. He knows your name. He knew you before the foundation of the world, before there was that spark in your mother's womb. He knew you. You were in him. He has a plan for you. He's not done. He's never been done with you. The only question is, are you going to catch up to where he's moving? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. We adore you, Jesus. We set our eyes on you. We fix our desire on you. We put our hearts in a position to worship you. We won't let the rocks cry out. They will if they need to, if we're silent. We're going to be the ones that cry out. Like when you rode in that day into Jerusalem, we're going to be the ones that are praising and cheering and lifting our hands and our voices. We're going to be the ones that are shouting before the rocks even have a chance. Let it be us, Jesus. Your prized possession, your greatest treasure, us, the ones you rescued by putting yourself in flesh, by wrapping yourself in flesh. Let us, your greatest treasure, seek you as our greatest treasure. We want to taste what you have. We want to drink from that river of life that's flowing, that's bubbling up within us. Father, release your fire, release your glory on us. We love you so much, Jesus. Jesus.